Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. What was our intelligence? What did the military advise the president? The intelligence community did not say this was going to collapse like it did. The embassy in Kabul warned last month. They expected this chaos. Right now, we are focused on bringing every single American home. This is a complete disaster. If you're not scared of COVID, you need to be scared of your hospital system collapsing. Getting vaccinated is a good choice. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is Friday's edition of News and Views. A lot to talk about. Have you heard the latest? And again, this is not coming out of any kind of right-wing organization. This is being reported by Politico. They're the ones that originated the story. It's been picked up by numerous other outlets, including the Daily Caller and uh, the Western Journal. Joe Biden's State Department wants to charge. Now, supposedly they have backed off of this, but only after it hit the news. And there was, as you could imagine, extreme outrage. Joe Biden's State Department wants to charge Americans up to $2,000 to fly out of Afghanistan. I am not kidding. When they show up at the airport, if they can get to the airport, there are a, there's a form they have to fill out, including repatriation re, um, flight fees are not free. All passengers will need to reimburse the U.S. government for the flight, a promissory note, I understand that uh, I wish to continue with this request. I do not wish to. Could you check out? Do you, do you want to get? Do you want to have your rear end shot full of bullets, or would you like to pay two thousand dollars to get out? Uh, and if you don't have the money with you, uh, you have to uh, basically sign over your passport as a uh, quid pro quo that uh, if I don't pay, my passport will be taken from me. This is unbelievable. Now. Look, I understand that somebody's got to pay for the flights. I understand that. And it's ought to be the taxpayer that, that will end up paying for it. But we're going to charge these people. I mean, you come back after the fact. I mean, we're trying to get them out of there. And they've got to sit out and fill out these forms, get them on the airplane, and get them out of the country. And at the same time we're doing that, go down to the Mexican border where we're taking illegals that come into this country and we're putting them on buses and airplanes and giving them medical services for free. Where do you want to fly to? Put them in an airplane and fly them to wherever they want to go. And these people have their lives on the line under this idiot president. I'm sorry. I know you're supposed to respect the office, but this is just beyond the pale. So now they're charging $2,000 to fly out. State Department spokesman Ned Price told the Daily Caller News Foundation following the publication of the story that the Biden administration has no intention of seeking any reimbursement from those fleeing Afghanistan. However, the people that are fleeing Afghanistan have a totally different story. They're getting to the airport. They're handed these papers and said, if you want to fly out, you either pay us now or sign over your sign this document that says you will pay. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. In the meantime, 
Fox News is reporting Joe Biden must authorize U.S. military to expand the perimeter around the Kabul airport and retake an important airfield with the help to help with the evacuations. This from Representative Dan Crenshaw, who has served over in Afghanistan. He tweeted this early this morning. Crenshaw served as a Navy SEAL for a decade and was wounded in Afghanistan back in 2012. He said two things need to happen, and only Biden can authorize. One, U.S. military must be allowed to operate outside of Cabal, outside of the airport, to get American citizens. In other words, right now we're inside the airport perimeter, but we're not outside. We need to retake the um, Bagram airfield, thus giving us more options for evacuation. Biden created this mess. He needs to take decisive action. (laughs) That's an oxymoron. Joe Biden taking decisive action. Uh, That that doesn't compute. Senator Tom Cotton also called on Biden to act swiftly to save Americans who are, in effect, hostages of the Taliban. Cotton laid into the president over his administration's ill-planned chaotic withdrawal in the country, which was followed by additional subsequent blunders, including relying on the Taliban's good graces to ensure the safety of our citizens. (laughs) You've got to laugh or you'd cry. I mean, these, these people want to slit our throats. They've made that very clear. They've made it very clear for the last how many decades. And Joe Biden comes out and says, well, we're depending on the Taliban's good graces. You know what's probably going to happen at the end of the day? You're going to hear another story, just like Obama did to Iran. You're going to hear a story about we're, we're sending a plain load of cash over to the Taliban. Who knows how much? $800 billion again? A trillion? Who knows how much money they're going to send over to the Taliban that we're going to pay a ransom to get our people out of there? The Biden administration on Thursday acknowledged reports that evacuees were having trouble reaching the international airport. Well, thank you, geniuses. (laughs) Guess what? Everybody else around the world knows that. Anybody that is monitoring the situation at all through just minimal news reporting knew that. (laughs) All you had to do is go back and look at what the Taliban has done over the last 20 years to know that there would be issues with that. Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor, vowed to bring home all Americans stuck in the country. The U.S. is believed to have some 600 troops over there. You know, have, have you noticed that, you know, I think it was Joe Biden himself said, well, this is America's longest war. No, it's not. How, how many decades have we been over in Korea? I mean, that war basically ended in a stalemate, and we are over there keeping the peace. Look, we need—why we, we, do we not need a, a base to work out of in the Middle East? I, I know it's expensive, but, you know, it wasn't a war. It was basically the same situation while we were there as what we have over on the border between North Korea and South Korea. Why couldn't we have stayed there? I mean, literally, is there, has there been any military that have been killed over in Afghanistan? I said this on Monday. In the last 18 months, and I, frankly, I think it's been 
found out to be true. In the last 18 months, there have been more people, more military personnel who have lost their lives within the United States than there have been within the country of Afghanistan. Uh, unbelievable. Hey, we got to take a time out. We've got a good program lined up. We're going to be talking to a uh, ex-colonel in the U.S. Army about what's going on. He was stationed in Afghanistan for a couple of years, a few years back. Uh, but we're going to get his perspective on what he thinks of the situation in Afghanistan. Lots more to talk about. Friday's edition of News and Views continues right after this. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Take a look at your weather forecast. Um, Well, today we're going to get a little uh, rain to wrap things up, and that'll take us through the night. A low tonight around 71. A chance of afternoon showers tomorrow, 30% chance. Otherwise, high in the upper 80s tomorrow night. Again, a 30% chance of showers, low around 73 Sunny on Sunday with a high near 91. So all in all, not too bad of a weekend. A new survey conducted by Rasmussen found that a whopping 55% of respondents think that Vice President Kamala Harris is not qualified to be president. Then why did you vote for her? Or perhaps you didn't. (laughs) I mean, more evidence that this last election was a fraud. I mean, did did things change that much? Did you actually think that she was qualified prior to November and you don't think she's qualified now? Only 43% of likely U.S. voters think Harris is qualified to assume the duties of president, including 29% who think she is very qualified. Well, that's down from April when 49% said Harris was qualified to become president. Now 55% say Harris is not qualified to assume the duties of the presidency, including 47% who say she is not at all qualified. But yeah, that last election, it was it was up and honest, and yeah, there was nothing wrong with that election, was there? By the way, did you see National Review came out and uh, and National Review is a conservative publication but it is not it is not a pro Donald Trump publication by any means quite the antithesis they came out and uh, their new poll says that if we were to have a redo today on the 2020 election Donald Trump would win overwhelmingly Fox News is reporting now I don't know what this guy's name is and apparently Fox News doesn't either. I looked at other uh, outlets to try to find who this was. But last week in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by the way, is not a uh, conservative state by any means. Last week, a father in Colorado Springs who is the descendant of slaves, black American, slammed critical race theory during a public school district board meeting saying racism in America would, by and large, be dead if it weren't for institutions such as the educational system keeping it on life support. I am the direct descendant of the North American slave trade. Both my parents are black, all four of my grandparents are black, all eight of my great-great-grandparents, all 16 of my great-greats. On my mother's side, my ancestors were enslaved in Alabama. On my father's side, we were enslaved in Texas. I am not oppressed. I'm not oppressed and I'm not a victim. 
I'm neither oppressed nor a victim. I travel all across this country of ours. And I check into hotels, and I fly commercially, and I walk into retail establishments, and I order food in restaurants. I go wherever I want, whenever I want. I am treated with kindness, dignity, and respect, literally from coast to coast. I have three children. They are not oppressed either, although they are victims. I've taught my children they are victims of three things. Their own ignorance, their own laziness, and their own poor decision-making. That is all. My children, we are not victims of America. We are not victims of some unseen 190-year-old force that kind of floats around in the ether. Putting critical race theory into our classrooms is taking our nation in the wrong direction. Racism in America would by and large be dead today if it were not for certain people and institutions keeping it on life support. And sadly, sadly, very sadly, one of those institutions is the American education system. I can think of nothing more damaging to a society than to tell a baby born today that she has grievances against another baby born today simply because of what their ancestors may have done two centuries ago. There is simply no point in doing that to our children. And putting critical race theory into our classrooms in part does that. Putting critical race theory into our classrooms is not combating racism. It's fanning the flames of what little embers are left. I encourage you to support this resolution. Let racism die the death it deserves. And let's keep living the life of country that we want. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, by, by the way, after that, and there were numerous other parents that spoke against the teaching of CRT. And uh, the Colorado School District 49 school board voted three to two to ban critical race theory from its classrooms. That happened last Thursday night. Um, listen, y- you better pay attention. I mean, there is... There is CRT all over the place. Don't think that because you're in eastern North Carolina that somehow you're exempt from critical race theory being taught in the public school system. And, you know, just because they call it something else and they don't label it as critical race theory, but it's the same thing, don't think it's not, don't think there's not people out there trying to get it into the classroom. There are. Parents, you better pay attention. I mean, right now we're going through the process where we've got open open house in schools where parents are going in with their kids to find out who their teachers are, who their classmates are. That's all well and good, but express yourself. Do it politely, do it winsomely, but express yourself. And I, I recognize that the vast majority of teachers are not in line with CRT But there are people in authority, and there are certain individuals that are going to continue to push this, and I don't care where you live. If you're in the government school system, there are people in there that want to push this. Beware. WNCT has an interesting article on their uh, website today concerning the fight against COVID-19 and the new Delta variant. Now the blood... Connection in North Carolina is working to help relieve hospitals of some of their stress. 
This is a very interesting article because this is what I have been harping on for months now. It comes down to what is called convalescent plasma, which is the key here. Representatives from the Blood Connection say when patients suffering from COVID-19 infection receive this plasma, plasma, it can turn their entire journey around. Some people have described it as a miracle, said Ellen Kirkner with the Blood Connection. A miracle coming from the pandemic is something many thought they'd never hear. However, doctors are finding a way to make those who have gotten the COVID-19 virus useful to those currently battling the infection. With the antibody testing, we're basically looking for the presence of immunity, and there are two ways to get immunity. One is through the vaccination, and the other way is getting exposed to the virus, said Robert Rayner, medical doctor and director of the Blood Connection. Individuals who have been exposed to the virus, what is called convalescent plasma, it can be used in treatments for those who may be critically ill from the virus. The best way I can express this is that you are in a 100-yard dash with COVID infection, and essentially COVID is a world-class sprinter. It just outruns everything, said Dr. Reiner. So what do we do with this convalescent plasma? Is we give it you, we give you a 50-yard head start. Dr. Rayner, health director for the Blood Connection, says not only can this infusion treatment help individuals, but can also help hospitals altogether. The hospitals themselves have actually helped us identify the patient, said Dr. Rayner. So in other words, and it's interesting, the people that they're requesting this help from are the people who have had COVID, not the people who have gotten the vaccine. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying don't go out and get the vaccine. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm anti-vaccine mandate. But if you want to get the vaccine, that's fine. Go ahead and get it. But what's interesting about this is they are asking people to donate plasma, people who have immunities from having had COVID-19. Now, we've been told, well, we're not sure whether or not you got an immunity just because you had COVID-19. You need to go out and get the uh, you need to go out and get the vaccination. Well, do you? If you want to go get it, I'm not I'm not knocking it, but. Could we please have more recognition that having had COVID-19 does give you immunity, even to the point now that they want to grab, if you've had it, they would like you to come donate some plasma to help other people who are sick from COVID-19 right now, because your antibodies will help them. Wow. I've been harping on this for months. I'm not a doctor. I'm not anywhere close to a doctor. But, I mean, isn't that common sense that if you've had a virus, you have immunities in your system, and you can share those immunities with others? By the way, on top of that, we've talked about several times now this uh, law professor up at George Mason University, Professor Zwicky, um, he has sued George Mason University because they insisted that he had to be vaccinated. He's had COVID-19, and his doctor says it's probably not a good idea for him to get the vaccination. He has sued George Mason University. Guess what? George Mason University has backed down. They have said, okay, you've got the immunities from having had COVID-19. Uh, we're going to back down. We're not going to force you to go and get the vaccination. Now, what's interesting is they haven't changed their policy altogether, and thus the um, New Civil Liberties Alliance is going to continue to go forward with their lawsuit against the university 
because they have not changed their policy for other staff and professors. They've they've merely given this professor's wiki a uh, an out that he doesn't have to be vaccinated. You know, it's, it's it seems to me that there are cases falling apart pretty quickly because they're going to do it for him. How can they turn around and say, well, we're not going to do it for other people? Um, what's interesting about this also is in the defense of a doctor or a professor's wiki, he has uh, come out with some pretty other interesting and significant studies that have uh, found that immunity is uh, natural immunity from having had COVID is every bit as strong as the vaccination and stronger. And the other interesting thing about this is that if you have natural immunities, there's a couple of studies out from New York's Mount Sinai School of Medicine, as well as a uh, another study. It's a peer review version in what's called cell reports that basically says if you've had COVID-19, you probably ought not to get vaccinated, that it actually could be harmful to you and it might not be a good idea. And it's certainly not going to help you any more than the natural immunities you have had from um, already being exposed and uh, carrying COVID-19. Interesting stuff. Hey, we're going to take another time out. When we come back, we look forward to being joined by a uh, colonel in the Army, now retired, who served over in Afghanistan. He was a chaplain, and uh, he's got some interesting perspectives on what's going on in Afghanistan. Stay with us. We'll be back with him in just a few minutes. is your drive at five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in 28 minutes before the top of the hour. Colonel David Jamona retired from the uh, Army. He was a chaplain, retired uh, from the Army back in June of 2018. After 32 years of military service, He has served in Afghanistan. He was there in 2005, 2006. He has traveled extensively throughout that country. And he's also an end-time expert, scholar, author, writer, and speaker. He currently oversees the Warrior Refuge, a 46-acre ministry resort near Columbus, Georgia. He, along with Troy Anderson, have authored a new release entitled The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. David, welcome into News and Views. Good to have you with us. Tom, it's great to be with you today. Um, first of all, let me thank you for your 32 years of service to our country and to uh, our Lord and Savior. Uh, there's a lot we can talk about in these few minutes we have together. But first of all, I just would like to hear your overall reaction of everything that we've seen transpire in the, the last seven days over in well, Afghanistan. It, yeah, it's an unmitigated disaster. Um, and people are asking me, well, who's responsible? Well, there's only one person responsible, and that's the commander-in-chief who makes the ultimate decision of what we're going to do. Our military warned them and told them what was going to happen if we did this too quickly. He overruled. President Biden overruled our military and said, we're going to do it my way, and you can see the results of doing it my way, what has happened. 
This was not a military operation. This was a governmental operation of the worst kind. There was no exit strategy, no phased operation. Uh, we, when you take the military out first and leave the civilians behind, uh, this is what happens. Now we have probably 75,000, 80,000, including the Afghans, American uh, civilians trapped in Afghanistan, and we, the only way to get them out is through military force. So we're in a very difficult position right now. Now, you spent 32 years in the military. What, what do you and – and you're retired now, so I, I guess you can speak openly and express yes. your thoughts. Uh, what do you Absolutely. think the military – now, obviously, you've expressed your thoughts about it, our commander-in-chief. But those people that are currently serving, uh, if, if, they, if, if Biden just said, hey, we need to get our folks out of there, go do your stuff, do you think they could get the job done? Oh, absolutely. But it's going to cost uh, lives, national treasure. It's going to be uh, expensive in a lot of ways. So we're going to have to go back. Because of poor decisions, we've got to go back in. And when the Secretary of Defense says the other day in a press briefing that we don't have the capability of getting Americans out, that's a, that's a bold-faced lie. I'm just going to have to be honest with you. Our, our military has the capability to go in and get the job done, but it's going to take a lot. And so I don't know if we have the resolve, but uh, we, we have to do something because not only we failed our, the American people, but we failed our allies. And the whole world is watching our weakness and our leadership. And now China and Russia and Middle Eastern, uh, Iraq and Iran, they're going to take advantage of this. And they already are taking advantage of this. But we've put ourselves in a terrible geopolitical position in the world. We have encouraged our folks and seen a number of uh, pleas from folks uh, across the country and around the world to pray for those who are under the uh, boot of the Taliban right now, including Christians. And we've heard stories out of uh, Afghanistan that the Taliban is targeting Christians. Uh, g give us the, the spiritual uh uh, the, the spiritual fervor over there right now, and, and I'm, I'm talking about how Christianity is making an impact in that country, and uh, in, indeed are, are these reports about uh, Christians being in great danger. What do you know about that? Well, they're in great danger. There's no question. The Taliban only knows one thing, and it's not negotiation. They only know brute force. This is how they've been raised, and this is how they live. And when you're over there fighting them, the only thing you can do, and I hate to say this to a Christian public, the only thing you can do is kill them because that's the only language they understand. Now, when us chaplains went over there, for many years we were preaching the gospel to not only soldiers but to uh, Afghan civilians and tribes, and we were helping them with clothes and all kinds of good things. And right now— just before the days of this uh, fiasco, Afghanistan was the number two fastest-growing church in the world, wow. right behind Iran, because of what God was doing through a lot of ministries, not just chaplains, but missionaries and others. But we, as the military, we opened the world to Afghanistan and the spirituality. Do we need to pray? We, we need to pray for the people, because the Taliban will kill not just uh, Christians, They'll kill anybody that opposes them. When they were protesting the other day or yesterday, right. and uh, they killed those people that were protesting, they will kill any. 
death means nothing to these people. Uh, it's like really looking the devil in the face because that's exactly what's going on. And um, we need to pray for God's intervention and deliverance. And we need to pray that the United States of America will have the resolve to go back in and take back what we've lost, billions of dollars in equipment and in resources, because if we don't, we're not only going to lose Afghanistan, those terrorists are now going to be coming into our country through our open borders. We've heard the president say that there was no will to fight by the Afghanis. Respond to that. Uh, that's just so sick. I'm sorry, but it angers me to hear that. The Afghani army lost almost 70,000 personnel right. fighting in the last 20 years. They had a will to fight. The problem is they had no leadership. And what people don't realize, the Afghan, Af, the average Afghan soldier barely subsides. They don't pay them well, if at all, through subsistence. Uh, they're basically poverty. And so uh, they're there, but they're barely, they were barely hanging on when we left. And then when we took our resources, our leadership out of the fight, it just totally collapsed everything because they were depending on us wholeheartedly. We're talking to uh, Colonel David Jamona, who is retired after spending 32 years in the Army and uh, served in Afghanistan in 2005 and in 2006. How do you see the current situation? Now, you've written this book, The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. You wrote this with Troy Anderson. Has this come out yet? I know it's a fairly new release. Is is it available right now? Yes, it has come out. It is available through anywhere, Amazon, anywhere books are sold. And uh, we hit number one in four categories in Amazon. Um, so... Uh, there's a hunger for people are really fearful, they're afraid, and they want answers. So I take my battlefield experiences uh, and translate them into the church, into the Bible, of what the Bible talks about in our spiritual warfare. So the book really is about spiritual warfare, it's about discipleship, and it's about preparation, because if we're not prepared, as you can see in this last move in Afghanistan, if you're not prepared, dire things are going to happen. So the book really touches a lot of different uh, issues uh, in our spiritual lives right now. Well, congratulations on the book. But let me ask you, uh, where do you see the current situation in Afghanistan? How does that play a part in the overall eschatology? That, that is the, the the end times, the, the return of Jesus Christ. I, I mean, because, listen, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with eschatology, but I'm 67 years old, and, you know, we constantly hear this stuff coming up over and over again every time there's a world crisis. And, you know, even you go back and look at believers back in World War II, they, they looked at Adolf Hitler's The Antichrist, and certainly this was the end of it all. Uh, Billy Graham back in the uh, uh, early 70s, late 60s said, well, I certainly think Jesus Christ is going to come again, and if he, I'd be totally surprised if he hasn't returned by 1972. So mm -hmm. as, as you look at eschatology, and it's going to happen, so I'm not, I'm not arguing that point, but right now the situation in Afghanistan, does that have a strong bearing on the return of Christ and the end times? Well, there's a couple of questions you were asked, so let me unravel a little bit. Give me a moment to sure, speak yeah, to absolutely. that. Number one, uh, number one, like what Pastor Jeffress, uh, Robert Jeffress, first just told me a couple of weeks ago, we were interviewing him for the new book that's coming out about deception next year. 
And we asked them about what pastors thought about the end times and why pastors are not preaching about it. And he said, well, they're committing uh, spiritual suicide if they don't talk about the end times. He said, look, in your lifetime, Jesus is going to come back. And whether he comes back to earth or you go to him, right. oh, you're going to see him. Uh, so we have to be prepared. And so the book is all about preparation. You know, and you talk about Afghanistan. You know, I think the, the Lord is realigning geopolitical entities as we speak. We're headed to a one-world government. There's no question about it. Uh, in my war college days back in 2012, all the books I read were talking about the only way to have peace on the planet is through a one-world government. And that's our American military talking, um, you know, training military leaders. And so, and then we have a Marxist movement going on in the United States right now through Black Lives Matter, through critical race theory and all exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. All that is headed toward a one-world government, and the Afghanistan is part of that picture. And so it will play a key role in these end times and in situations we may not even understand right now. And, and you're correct, you know. Believers, and I write about this in the book, believers in World War II, but Adolf Hitler was Antichrist, and rightly they probably should, because uh, he was a forerunner of the Antichrist, and, and if things turned out differently, he could have ruled the world in a matter of years uh, or months over there. So the fact of the matter is, we are in the end times. Israel's a nation after 2,000 years. The signs in the end times are all around us. Nine out of ten pastors right now believe those signs are pointing to the end times. Jesus talked about birth pains. And so I tell people 2020 with the coronavirus and 2021 with this and other things and earthquakes, all are part of the birth pains. They will slow down a little bit and then pains will continue until the, you know, the coming of the Lord. All these things, Tom, are pointing to the fact that the Lord is coming. The world is being prepared. Exactly when that's going to happen it's none of my business. My business is to prepare pastor believers around the world to be ready. Because if I send a soldier into combat and he's not prepared to fight, I did not love that soldier enough to help them. And that's my love portion of all this, to help people understand where we are and how to do that. And so our book has, you know, practical ideas at the end of every chapter, what we must do to get back into this fight and get and repent and get back right with the Lord. You know, as I, as I look at the, the Lord coming again, eschatology in the end times, really it's, I guess, a sort of a twofold thing that the birth pains are going to get worse and worse. In other words, the, the kind of thing that we're seeing happen in Afghanistan is going to get worse and worse, but also right. we're going to see more and more people coming to Christ as the end approaches. Do you see both of those things happening right now? I absolutely do. My wife and I were discussing this the other day. It's a parallel process. It may not be like of old where everybody gets saved and there's a huge revival, let's say, in America, and that, you know, there's a great awakening. I don't think that's going to happen again. What I do think is going to happen is many people around the world will come into the kingdom, and at the same time, the the world is going to get worse and worse, uh, as the Bible indicates. So, we have a dual process going on at the same time, even right now. And I'm telling people, Christians around the world, let's not be deceived. Jesus said, watch out for deception. It's coming. There's going to be a man who, who pretends to be Jesus Christ, who rules the world, and everybody's going to love him. 
but he's not Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful of that as well. Well, and we've seen that over and over again throughout history. I, I pray that we do have another great awakening. I'm, I'm not disagreeing that we might not, but I, my, certainly my prayer that we would. Uh, let me change gears with you just a little bit, because it's another issue that has got to be on the forefront of everyone's mind right now. I think of the Gold Star families who have lost loved ones over in Afghanistan. You know, you are a chaplain, and obviously a good deal of what you did was uh, counseling uh, men and women who were serving in our armed forces. Uh, What would you say to the families and to veterans who perhaps are still living, but their lifestyle has greatly changed after losing a limb or having— you know, post-traumatic issues. What do you say to them as they look and they say, what has happened to my sacrifice? It's, it's gone down the drain. Uh, you know, may, help me make sense of this. What would you say? Well, I have veterans calling me right now, back, even one last night. Um, here's what I would say. Uh, we did what we had to do, and we did a great job as veterans in Afghanistan. Your service was not in vain. We protected the world from terrorism. We uh, up, we upended the Taliban. We made the Afghan women's lives better. Uh, we brought peace and you know to a certain extent throughout the country. We did what was asked of us. And I say to all of you who served with me in Afghanistan throughout the years, I salute you. Thank you for your service. Your life, your limbs, your family sacrifices was not in vain. You, you did what was asked of you, and we're proud that—I'm proud to say I serve alongside of you throughout the very difficult days we had. And if you lost a loved one, you lost a limb, you know, um, that's a great sacrifice for your country, but it wasn't in vain. Hmm. You did what you were asked to do. We saw just in the news uh, earlier this week, just I guess it was yesterday the day before— women coming out in one uh, city in Afghanistan protesting against the Taliban, and we saw some of them lost their lives. As as you look, and you were amongst those people, and now granted it's been a few years ago, but as you see that situation, is is the is the will to live freely stronger than the will to live by many of these Afghans? You know, the Afghan people as, as a whole are great people. Uh, I've come to love them. They were very uh, cordial people, very humble people, all, all of them except for the terrorists, of course. And so um, they had a great will for freedom, and they wanted, you know, the world watches the United States um, of what we do, and right. that's what they really wanted in their lives and their country. They wanted the freedom. To worship, they wanted the freedom to buy and sell. They wanted the freedom to do those things that they see on TV and on the listen on the radio. And so there's a great hunger for that, but there's also at the same time a great fear because they know the Taliban will kill them and subject them and enslave them and enslave their women. And uh, you know, it's a great hypocrisy, United States. I mean, right now, we're not hearing anything from the left, from Hollywood, from Right. livers, all that. What about the women of Afghanistan are now being slaves? We're not hearing any of that come out, which really makes one scratch the head about what's really going on here. But yes, that's your question. They love freedom, and they would fight, and they did fight for their freedom, 
for over 20 years alongside us. Do you have hopes that they can overcome the uh, jihadist fervor of the Taliban? I do have, always have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and and I don't put my hope in a man, but I, right. as you know, but I put forward, and yes, there is hope, but we have to have the willingness now to go back, and there will be more people, soldiers that lose their lives, more Afghans, and unquestionably, we're going to have to pay a huge price to regain what we have lost. Is it possible? Yes, but we're going to have to have national resolve. I don't know if we have that right now or not with the current leadership in the, in place, but um, there's always hope, and hope is a you know a great thing uh, in the Bible, one of the three greatest things that we can have. Colonel David Jamona, author of the book The Military Guide to Armageddon: Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. We've got to bring it to a close, uh, Colonel. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you for your time, and uh, let's continue to pray for the people of Afghanistan, uh, the Americans over there, the Christians over there, those people who want freedom. Pray the gospel goes forward and pray that the Taliban is defeated. Thank you, David. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Stay with us. I'll be right back. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. First thing you should do after work. I turn on the radio. Check in with Tom and Benny. Gotta know what's happening in my city. What's going on in my backyard. Things that are happening locally. I like the local news. Things that I don't hear everywhere else. I don't hear everywhere else. For the local news you want. Kept me informed for all of the local stuff, you know. It let me know what was going on in the local community. Eastern Carolina's news sources. News and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. John Solomon and Just the News is reporting today that minorities have increased their mobility and financial standing over the last decade, according to federal data. The challenge is some of the narratives of the so-called critical race theory spreading out through schools and high schools and colleges and wherever. While the Federal Reserve reports that the typical white family has more wealth than the typical black or Hispanic family, it also acknowledges that black and Hispanic families have made significant gains. The Brookings Institute points out in several reports that black and Hispanic households have made statistical significant economic progress, especially in the years prior to pandemic-related shutdowns in 2020. Isn't that interesting? And uh, which party is it that is insistent that we shut down and that we should stay shut down? You know, it almost makes you wonder if they saw the financial progress to minority families under Donald Trump and they said, we better put a stop to this or we might lose the minority vote. Yeah. An analysis by the Federal Reserve, for instance, found wealth for African-Americans and Hispanic families grew far faster during the Trump years than for whites. So everything you've been told about how terrible Donald Trump is for minority families, uh, the numbers don't lie. African-Americans and Hispanics did a whole lot better under Donald Trump than any other previous administration, period. Hey, listen, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll do it again on Monday at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.